cool. Here we are. Hey, hey, hey. This is Psychotronic Cast, episode 105, I think. 105? Sure. Um, <laughs> my name is Alec Berg, and joining me in the same motherfucking room is the one and only Derek Estes. Here I am. Yeah, you can and you should subscribe to us on all the social media platforms and podcast platforms, and even the ones that don't carry our backlog, which is most of them. You can find those on psychotronicast.com um, like I said this is episode 104 and I believe Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Play only cover like the most 23 recent so there's quite a history behind that if you've already caught up on all of that guess what we also have a Patreon for $5 a month you can get all of our bonus episodes as well which rank somewhere in the 40s I'd say by now there's quite a bit of shit we've talked also, about also if you subscribe to Patreon then uh, you can also suggest movies and we can just for those movies and do private little podcasts for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Private webcam podcasts. Exactly. Really describe what we're wearing. Wee! Without further ado, Derek, what the hell are you getting us into? All right. So this is like the the capstone, the the final piece of the you know sequels puzzle that we've been working on for a while. And uh, this one, you know, it, it covers. We have four movies to cover. The quad. Uh, but the the concept is actually a movie, or like a TV movies based off of 60s TV shows. Um, and so we're going to do both uh, the Adams Family movies in the 90s and as well as the Brady Bunch movies of the 90s. Huge, huge thing in the 90s where it's just like, let's take a 60s TV show and make it into a blockbuster movie. You oh, got yeah. Adams Family... You got uh, Brady Bunch. You got Mission Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible. Lost in Space. Yeah, The uh, Fugitive. Um, yeah, you have Wild Wild West. You've got yeah Flintstones. Like there was just like I mean there was a bunch in the eighties. You had a couple like you had like you know obviously they have the Star Trek movies, but you had like Twilight Zone and Dragnet, and it kind of even continued and it's been a thing. But it was definitely like really hot in the nineties. But it's like we talked pre- previously how like you, you mentioned like the sixties TV shows just were more high concept. Big time. Um, and, you know, it's it's really true. Like, they just had, like, you know, just such interesting ideas. Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Another, uh, another 90s one, which I actually really like that movie. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I'd seen it a million times. In fact, the first pair of tits that I can remember was in a, a Playboy magazine draped over the sliding glass door of my grandpa's bathroom of um, whoever played the Ellie Mae Clampett, the, oh, yeah. the daughter. In the movie version in the '90s, to a Playboy, she had a Playboy like yeah crossover. That's what's crazy was like back the '90s were so nuts. It's like hey, we got a new movie coming out. Like, does anybody want to get naked for Playboy and yeah. promote the film? It's like yeah, I do. The girl from it's funny Play- because in a weird way, I think we're in the point where you could, in a weird way, do that now, and it would seem so like revolutionary. Well, Playboy yeah. doesn't do nudity anymore. Yeah, well, I don't think they, I think they finally shut. I think they finally closed up recently. I mean, as far as like. I, I don't know if it was with COVID or, but I think they, they got rid of nudity and I think they've actually just, they're done altogether. And Mad Magazine also shut down. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. But it's like all those 50s magazines. So it's really like influential 50s magazines that are like uh, kind of pronged the counterculture. Finally had to go away. Make room for a new one. Um, but yeah, like these movies, uh, yeah, so the Adams Family, I guess we're going to start with those because it's the, I guess, as far as the shows go, the Adams Family started a little earlier. I'll interrupt one more time and then you can get back to it. Okay, go ahead. What, did you, 
in preparation for this episode, did you actually go back and watch any episodes of the original TV series? I haven't in preparation for this. I've watched some pretty recently. Like I, um, yeah, because they're all I think available on streaming on Prime or they're on Hulu or somewhere. They're they're available for free for streaming. I oh, cool. used to have like some on disc. <clears throat> I loved as a kid. I loved the TV show. Like it was a big deal to me. And I actually loved the comic. So the it was a TV show. Technically, obviously, we could say this is a you know a movie based on a comic. It was you know in the New Yorker for a long time since like the like the thirties. I think is when oh, no Charles started it. And those com- those comics are still really funny and just weird and crazy. The why I would you know definitely argue that this show is based off of the TV show is the fact that even in the comics, none of the characters had names. They were you know it was just like a weird spooky family, and they had a lot of those things. It's, as great as the comic is, a lot of the things they solidified to make it a TV show are the elements they used to make the the movies. You know, including the theme song and yeah, you know, uh, so a lot of that all kind of crystallized in our consciousness in the TV show. Another weird thing about '60s television are its theme shows. Its theme songs have lived on, maybe greater than the shows themselves. Like yeah. you got like the Hawaii Five O theme, uh, Beverly Hillbillies theme, the Adams Family theme. Uh, I mean, I know it's the seventies, but like the Brady Bunch theme. Oh yeah, for real. Uh, like I, I, all... growing up in the eighties, and you know, like yeah, it was funny. Like so, now we're in a period when people look back. You know, the the thirty year marker, thirty five year, whatever it is for the past few years has been eighties. You know, uh, where people the nostalgia. Yeah, of millennials goes back to the '80s and a lot of the things going on, stuff like Stranger Things and stuff along those lines. Growing up in the '80s, uh, the the nostalgia, the heavy nostalgia, at that point was going back to the '50s. So when I was a kid, you know, like a lot of these old '50s things were just like they were, you know, put on TV. So like, yeah, you know, I was watching, you know, The Honeymooners and Ozzie and Harriet and Nick at Night. You know, like I'm watching all these TV shows. I'm watching. You know the Donna Reed show and Mr. Ed and Bewitched and um, you know that that was kind of that. So in a weird way, it kind of did a weird leapfrog, and so that became my childhood. And so now I'm you know like I I get nostalgic for something that was already a level of nostalgia ahead of me, um, which is kind of funny. And now I'm sure like kids growing up now, like little kids that you know are being their parents are showing them Goonies and mm-hmm. E.T. and all these things like they you know when they are. You know, middle age, then those will still be things that they will, you know, yeah, be into and cherish. Well, I have a you know one year old now, and I haven't even begun the whole screen time thing yet. But I also haven't been keeping my like ear to the grindstone or whatever that saying is of whatever is popular enough to like show kids, but also like have longevity to be available for the next generation. I don't know what's happening right now for me to be like. This, I mean, besides like comic book stuff, like what is really like lasting that you in thirty five years like we'll be we'll be showing this again. It's tough. I mean, obviously, like you know, it's hard I, to tell. It's hard while to tell. Like, I'm like you know in my forties. You know, so yeah, so like, yeah. The, the, the the things on the ground for a little kid, you know, and I mean, like obviously, I you know, I know you you have a kid, but you know, a lot of you know my friends who have like kids. I don't really know what those kids are watching, and things are changing so much. I think it's no, so, so it's, niche now because there's so much out there that's just mm-hmm. like. I feel like my son's name is Jack. Like when Jack's growing up, like I'm gonna go to you a lot because like I don't know what to show him, and I don't trust anything that's really out there. So I would like to show him like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, there's a lot of those things. I think it's funny because right now, 
obviously with uh, the stuff going on in the world right now like there's a lot of discussions as far as you know how what media you show kids like uh my friend polly you know you've met like she works for uh common sense media and her old job is actually like kind of you know dissecting and looking at these things and lately you know even a lot of her posts or a lot of things to uh emphasize diversity for kids you know not just for like you know say uh yeah things have been whitewashed for so long but like so not only for children you know of color to like see positive role models in their life but also for white kids to see you know like shows where the primary characters are black or latin or asian or you know something not just white you know like for us, like, and I knew, like, you know, I remember being very young, kind of around, like, weird tangent, but, you know, even, like, grade school, thinking about that, where I'm, like, because I remember thinking about, like, um, black friends I had in grade school, and I'm, like, and we're just thinking, like, you know, how it would be to feel black, where I'm, like, everything, in my, you know, almost all the TV shows, except for, like, the Cosby show, there's mostly white people, we watched a commercial, the commercials were all going to be for white people, everything was all geared towards white people, too, yeah. which just seems like the normal, which is bad, I think, both for, you know, people who aren't white, because then they feel they're always excluded, but I think it's also bad for white people, because, A, it just makes whiteness just seem like the bare minimum, so a lot of white people also get the weird complex where they feel they're boring because they're white, so they end up, like, trying to poorly imitate black people or other like cultures to hence my sort of... first subscription to a magazine was the source <laughs> yeah. and uh, entertainment weekly also and also like it probably spawned my huge appreciation for rap music and like being obsessed with well, BET. Yeah, they say like you know the biggest uh, you know like biggest sales to uh you know for you know i guess urban music or black music is usually like white suburban kids you absolutely know, it's, it's it's so yeah i think that's that's true i my remember my like because you the parental advisory thing you'd have to get like you know somebody of age to buy the record unless if you knew like a store was not on the level and sometimes tower records would be cool they'd be like whatever um but if you'd go to like the chains like Best Buy or whatever to buy a CD like you knew like you had to get like somebody of age so like I have to drag my dad sometimes to like Best Buy because it was the closest to buy a CD and I remember I wanted him to buy me this Corrupt album uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> I picked out the record and I'm like this is the one I want and it's just fat parental advisory thing on the front he was like you want me to buy this for you and I was like yeah he's like okay the album is called... Well, the artist's name is Corrupt. And the album is called The Streets is a Motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm like, it's cool, cool. He likes the Dodgers. Because he's wearing all Dodger shit. He's got like the satin Dodger jacket on the cover. And he's like a Dodger hat. And I'm like, he's a Dodger fan. My dad's like, Jesus fucking Christ. And then I remember even getting in the car with him or the truck. And he's just like... So did he buy it? Yeah. Oh, nice. And then, I mean, like... It was my money, but like he yeah. bought it. And then he's just like... Yeah, yeah, let's see what you're listening to. And it's just like, Girls All Pause is on that record, which, if anybody knows Corrupts, not good. Like, one of the lines is like, <laughs> what is this, like, uh, dipping through the club with five, with two or two or five ounces of dope. I can't remember, but there was like ounces of dope on his person, and he was, couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. W Balls, like that whole record thing. Sorry, we're going off a big tangent. Okay. Adam's family. Yeah. No, but it's funny. So you got to what started this, you know, as far as the theme songs. Yeah, the theme song is like, is so great. Anyone can, you know, remember that and sing that. But yeah, no, this movie is, so I think that the, this movie, I think is a lot of fun. This, uh, the cast is so great. Oh! 
yeah. you know, like Angelica Houston is so fucking amazing in this movie. Raul Julia, I think, is so great. So Obviously, good. You know, like uh, the one person people mostly remember is going to be Christina Ricci as Wednesday. Kind of like really like gave her a career. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also it's funny. Uh, this is the first movie directed by Barry Schoenfeld, who was the cinematographer for the Coen Brothers. Yeah. This. So he had done like, uh, yeah, like Blood Simple and even Racing Arizona. So do you think he? Had to go to court because basically he just like stole everything Tim Burton did before that. Because I mean, I swear to God, this was a Tim Burton movie. It like, does the fonts, the feet, like the look, like nothing looks like a Tim Burton movie except for the Adams family. Yeah, it's true. I think that part of it, I think that my guess would be that part of how what got this greenlit was the fact that Tim Burton was being really successful on it. You have this, but the thing is, a lot of those elements. Um, I think this movie was actually even originally offered to Tim Burton, and for some reason he turned it down, and you know he was doing something else. I think he was, uh, yeah, he was so busy at this point, he's probably doing like Batman Returns or something. But um, you know, I think that this, you know, it comes from an, something an established like intellectual property that had already like influenced Tim Burton, so okay. he could get away with that. Okay. You know, it's like this was already, but it does have that feeling, and it was funny because even. You know, it wasn't until Sleepy Hollow that Christina Ricci was in, like, a Tim Burton movie. You know, but it seemed like she's just feeling so, you know, a part of that whole, like, kind of 90s goth culture. You oh, know, yeah. which I think that Adam Stanley is a huge influence on that, like, as far as what people think of that kind of, like, spooky goth thing. And, like, you know, and also it's funny, so if we go back to the TV show, the, this is the weird thing. The TV show premiered the same time as the Munsters, and they were both canceled around the same time. And it's like the two competing, like yeah. spooky fans. And what's shows. weird is I watched the Munsters growing up. I've never seen an episode of The Addams Family. Are you serious? I swear, I've only seen the Munsters, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved uh, their version of Lurch, whatever that Frankenstein guy was. I guess he was the dad. Is Herman Munster? Yeah. Oh, Herman. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, Eddie Munster, the son, or whatever. Uh, well, and then also the Lily, w- the wife, is uh, Yvonne DiCarlo from Crisscross with Burt Lancaster. What? Yeah. Okay, well, now that I've got my noir lens on. Um, yeah. No, the original TV show is is so much fun. And I, for me, I love both of them. I love the Munsters. I appreciate them a lot more now because they are totally a part of that, like, kind of 60s like uh, creature feature the monster rehash thing that had kind of like gotten big in the 60s after people started watching all those universal horror movies and that became like a big thing uh, and also like the whole roadster like uh, you know kind of thing was all kind of going on they're kind of so I think of like you know things like you know even the type of horror movie crossovers that would influence things like you know uh you know the misfits or like uh the cramps like that sort of like you know, muscle car, monster movie, kind of mashup stuff. Yeah. All kinds of the monsters. The Addams Family, they were a little bit more like, to me, they were just a little bit weirder. And the shit was just a little bit, it was like a, almost like, not more creepy. Like they were almost like, they were silly and goofy, but almost in a more like, Sinister way okay. that I really loved, where the monsters were almost like so normal and so sweet, but also like had this kind they of they just like, happen to be monsters. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what um, I got from it too. Yeah, from what I remember. And the thing with the Adams family, it's funny because this actually will tie in even with the Brady movies later. Um, you know, the kind of weird thing with them is the fact they kind of exist in this weird world where they are, they live in you know, 
I, I, I hate to say like a normal world because even like the outside world is still almost like a weird sitcom world um, that's you know kind of not real. But you know they are just so kind of like this accepting kind of like positive family that's also just like very like you know spooky and and creepy. Yeah. Um, and I just totally love that. This movie also is like I love you know watching this now just how beautiful and polished both these movies are mm-hmm. but it's like they have this like there's this kind of high gloss to the concept where it's like there's obviously so much money put towards the sets and yeah. the production values are just like so great and they even like Christopher Lloyd who at that point was still like riding the high that he had like through the 80s like from Taxi but then going into like you know the Back to the Future movies and just like you know he was like just you know who goes rabbit like he was in don't sleep on him being the father in suburban commando the i never uh, saw suburban commando no nobody did but me i had it on vhs when i was a kid i got it for my birthday from somebody hulk hogan yeah yeah it's a canon film perfect and i got it as a birthday present from somebody that i can't remember growing up where it was just like oh uh, like the mom was like oh he loves movies let's give him a movie and I know they just got me the cheapest movie they can find wherever they found it because it's like a canon film and it's like movie oh, movie yeah. song. and I had it and I watched it like 300 times it's funny, that happened to me it's, it's funny because it kind of ties in uh, where my grandmother just bought me a tape she's like I knew I know you're like in the movies she's bought me a tape and it was Raising Arizona and I had never seen it and I'm like what a fucking gold mine you won it's like yeah dude jackpot that, that was like it's wow, so how good this happen like you uh, never you, you don't it's not that you have taste you just you just grab the right wow box. I remember I did the opposite to a friend who's not a friend anymore uh, we just grew apart whatever and we don't live in the same state name but, their name name their name so I bought this guy um, five easy pieces from Barnes and Noble the Amazing Jack Nicholson film, and I got it for him because I thought he'd like it because uh, we were reading the same stuff back then. And he was, yeah, I just th- think he was on the level. He was he was not much of a movie person. I gave it to him, and then like a month later, I came back to his place. And I was like, "Have you seen it yet?" And he's like, "No." And I'm like, "Why not?" He's just like, "You really gonna like like make me watch something you got like in the bargain bin or whatever?" I was like, "Motherfucker, that is the Criterion edition I got from Barnes and Noble for like thirty three dollars." And he was like. What? And uh, he, I don't to this day. I don't think he ever watched it. <laughs> I'm just so like, funny. dude. Like I know I bought like a legit film for you, and it had nothing to do with its price. Anywho, <laughs> Adam's family. Oh yeah. Um, so this movie. So the the original one. Uh, the concept is that uh, you know Uncle Fester has been missing for you know like twenty five years or something. Almost actually, it's kind of funny. It, it almost lines up with from when the movie was made to when the original TV show was canceled. Um, and there's this whole like scam going on where, you know, these people are trying to pass off Christopher Lloyd as, you know, Uncle Fester who'd been missing. And then you get to this, you know, all this drama, but then you have to only realize that actually he is Uncle Fester. Yeah, that I don't understand how that is though. Yeah, it's... It's very convoluted at the end of the movie. Yeah, the... the a lot of the plot of this one, that's I guess the thing is like, I, I love like uh, in the original movie, like uh, you know, all the production values and all the performances are really great. The plot of the movie is just so kind of like convoluted that they just needed to like come up with some sort of like what, how do we make a movie or what's the what's the gist? Um, that that's the biggest drag. Um, but I really love everything else about it. I love like even like the crazy like the cemetery and you know all these like things and. Uh, 
there's the whole thing where he, they're trying to scam because they want to get to the Adams family, like uh, the treasure or whatever they have in their like crazy vault. And I love all of that too, like the crazy yes, um, pull the chain, yeah, pull the chain, yeah. and it's you know, um, like uh, yeah, like I'm missing the name of the the artist who made all these crazy like contraptions, but it's like this. Uh, all of that shit is just so great. It's just, it makes it so much fun. And yeah, um, that is great. I, my favorite part in the original movie is once they end up like locking the fam- Adam's family out of their own home when they all have to go live in the motel. Yes. Uh, start, oh, like, God. When he gets in uh, those binges watching TV. Oh, yeah. He's just watching Sally Jesse. Sally Jesse. Sally Jesse Raphael. Jesus Christ. Um, and he keeps calling in because they're thinking about the Satanists. Like, yeah. no, Mr. Adams, we don't know where they're meeting. Yeah. Like, that is so great. And the whole lemonade stand. Uh huh. Um, like, all of that is just like. What was the billboard cool. behind it? She was like, I'm doing a lot of. Tombstone pizza. Tombstone pizza, yes. Yeah. That was good. It's really great. Well, what do you want on your tombstone? Anybody who's 35 and up knows what that means. Oh, yeah. So I love. Yeah, a lot of that stuff is. The just 90s so pop culture fun. is so good with oh, this. Yeah. I wanted to bring up this with um, Angelica Houston and how, like, it's perfect. And uh, we're sneak previewing uh, an upcoming episode, but um, uh, Gina Rollins. Gina, am I saying yeah. it right? Yeah, Gina Rollins. We're doing opening night coming soon. Check it out. But um, her and Angelica Houston and maybe a handful of other women are as badass. Gina Davis will probably be thrown in there, too. But, like, Angelica Houston is something else. Can you think... Of a better three generation trio than Walter Houston, John Houston, Angelica Houston. Oh yeah. Is there anything else that can compare to those three I generations mean, back to back to back? I mean, it's tough. I mean, you had to go to like yeah, you, you kind of can't because even if you look at the Barrymores, so you like, got you John remember, like, and then the Gap John, and then like Drew. his siblings. Yeah, and then like, you have like you know, some, you know like no one cares about him, and then you have Drew. Um, you have like the Carradines, kind of. Yeah, I guess maybe the Fondas. Uh, oh, the three? Is there three generations? Well, Bridget Fonda. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like the weaker... Jackie Brown. Yeah. Um, but, you, yeah, you don't have... You don't have that. I mean, Which like kid is she of? I think she's Peters. Oh. I could be totally... I could be totally just be... It's a coin flip. out of my ass. It's a coin flip. So you're 50 but I do that. think that she is Peter Fonda's daughter. Okay. I just wanted um, to bring that up. Like, yeah. What, like, three combo yeah, generation... Yeah, it it is great. Like that is a uh, fucking family. And Walter, she also her, her brother too. Uh, fuck, I can't think of his name. Um, I mean, he's also like a great actor. My brain is Danny Houston. Danny Houston. Uh, yeah, I like him. I mean, he's not he's not Angelica. No, I'll say that. But no. uh, he is like a really cool, crazy actor. Um, but yeah, in the first one, like the the plot is definitely the weakest part, but the everything else going on is so great um i do think i mean should we just jump into the second or like what like um the first one if i want to say anything else about it yeah very convoluted at the very end it definitely is way more tim burtony mm-hmm. uh the second one does not feel like that whatsoever besides the font at the beginning but by then i mean even like judd apatow is using that same font style for freaks and geeks and shit like that so like it had become like the norm um which I know Freaks and Geeks came, like, you know, a handful of years after Adam's Family oh, Values. Yeah. yeah, the first one, uh, super awesome. I 
was surprised watching it again for the first time in a zillion years because I've seen Family Values like way more than I've seen the original. I maybe Family only... Values has become became more popular. Yeah, too. which is weird because okay, the first one I want to get this right. So like the first Adams Family, you look at the gross, which I know I'm all about the money when it comes to stuff like yeah. this, but it's true. Uh, Box office forty eight million, budget forty seven million. N- okay, so that was the thing. So the first one. Mm-hmm. Made way more money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the budget was thirty million. It made one hundred thirteen million. So uh, with the values, it was technically a flop because, like, sure they made the initial amount back, but they usually spend about you know the same amount as the budget for the film on the advertising. So it's just like it actually did not do good which is weird because this is one of the like great sequels oh yeah we're like what the fuck why weren't people on board with Adam's Family Values it only came two years after it's not like there was too much of a gap um, no, I remember like I don't get it. being really into uh, we used to get like all the crazy like theme cereals because I think they had it like the you know the canned food outlet or whatever so I remember the Adam's Family I think it was the maybe the first Adam's Family or the second Adam's Family like the cereal was uh, kind of like chocolate Checks, but with marshmallows in it, and I fucking loved it. Awesome. The other series, I remember like the Bill and Ted's Excellent Cereal. And, what? Uh, I don't even know that. Oh yeah, that and then for my time, the Ninja Turtles cereal and the Batman Returns cereal. We had all of those. Yeah, I never got any. My dad was a diabetic or still is, and so we never got any of the cool cereals. Like as crazy as we got, in my household would be like Cinnamon Life. Oh yeah. So I mean, it's you can do that. That's how, it's that's not, how it goes. I never, I, mean, I never got the. The movie it ain't great. It ain't great. It ain't great at all. Uh, okay, so Adam's Family Values doesn't feel like a Tim Burton movie. Feels like its own thing. The plot isn't convoluted. Uh, as as far as like big popcorn kooky movies, it can't get much better than this. Yeah, I think it's it is so great. I think also like having Joan Cusack, who is like. I don't understand why she's kind of disappeared from... I mean, I guess John isn't really big either, but I'm like, John was always just so weird and cool and just like... I feel I, like there's such a... She's such a specific type of actress that it seems like she would be in higher demand. Uh, well, like, she... Like, Once Upon a Time, Shameless was a really good show on Showtime, and it's still running. I don't watch it anymore. And, like, any good Showtime show, it goes on, like, ten seasons to many oh yeah and that's definitely where it's at right now but at least she was on the show i've never watched so yeah like halfway through it she enters and becomes this like kinky freaky housewife and it's just like all about big ass dildos like her like story arc is so insane and it's kind of like adam's family values where like her boobs are out like she's like using her body for you know, like her advancements and whatever part of the her storyline that needs to be, and yeah, she's all about like kinky sex, and it's so fucking cool. But going back to John really quick, we're gonna go off a tangent. Sorry, people. I, no. I I mean, like, I don't know what it is for like a forty year old gay man, but for like a, a mid thirties straight man, like John Cusack was my boy oh, for yeah. the longest time because he wasn't for somebody like me who wasn't like the coolest kid in school or like the biggest bat or like what any of that. He was, like, that perfect medium where he, like, wasn't a loser and he wasn't, like, the cool guy. He was just John. Or, like, he was just, like, his yeah. own thing in, like, every movie that he did. And, like, I really, like, Gross Point Blank is, like, number one to me. Like, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but, like, I fucking love him and that movie so much. High Fidelity I watched over and over yeah, again. Like, as far as all those, like, 80s 
teen movies, like, Say Anything is, like, so high up there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, to the point where uh, it was only a couple of years ago, there's a YouTube video, Peter, is it Peter Gabriel? Peter Gabriel that did the song, like, Your Eyes, Your yeah. Eyes. Yeah. So he played the Hollywood Bowl a couple of years ago, started playing Your Eyes, and then during the first chorus, John Cusack walks out with a boombox over his head. <laughs> it's like, Johnny Boy. Yes, and That's like, great. and this was in like the whole C. Like he must have been writing the high because he's like uh, born and raised Chicago, huge Chicago Cubs fan. Chicago club, <laughs> Cubs like went you know 110 years that winning World Series. They end up winning a few years back, and John Cusack, uh, Eddie Vedder, Bill Murray were like the three headed like psychopath uh, sports fans that were always on the top of like the sports center like highlights or whatever like oh let's see their reaction they would always cut to them on Fox when they're doing like the sports center and he even had like the best tweet where it was like uh, um, Charlie Brown finally kicked the football like the Cubs won the World yeah. Series or whatever you're just like oh my god so it's like John Cusack's always been like so fucking cool in the fact that he hasn't always been so fucking cool and with his sister Joan, yeah, it's just she's kind of been the second fiddle. Yeah, which is I mean, she's yeah. They're I mean, they're they're both great. But she's just like so unique. You know, she's just a very like kind of offbeat actress. Hell she's yeah, she's great and she's awesome in this movie. So uh, the kind of concept is that she's brought in to be a nanny to the the newest uh, Adam's family member, Pubert, the baby. Um, which yeah, Angelica's like birth scene is so hilarious where she's just like okay what all right like she's so badass that's just like labor pains what are those oh well she probably gets off on it i know it's like that's why i didn't mention about the first one because they didn't really touch on it a lot that's my one gripe about emotionally values is like raul julia and angelica houston are like bit players yeah which really really bums me out like here's an idea can we not focus on Christopher Lloyd two movies in a row? Yeah, that's true. Can we really just, like, back the fuck off of this guy for a second? Like, Fester sucks. He doesn't suck, but, like, in comparison to everybody else in the family besides Pugsley. I do think, yeah, Angelica Houston and Raul Julia could have been their own movie together. For like, sure. Just whatever. They could have had a whole sequel without the kids or anybody else, because they are, like, so dynamite. And it's so sadly, when he died, I mean, this was, like... I know. Um, you know, this is, like, his crowning... Yeah, yes. like performance, you know, for pop culture, and apparently, like, you know, it really meant a lot to him that you know before he died, like, you know, he'd go out and like kids would recognize him, be like, oh, and he you're... would still remain in character. Yeah, it's that's like... why he did Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, whatever one he did was like for the kids or whatever, and he knew it was like a shit movie. It's like, yeah, he's great. He's so good. He's, he's also so... one of those people you just like. Besides the fact that like, you know, he died way too young. It's like he was so wasted for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think besides these movies, you know, it's like Kiss the Spider Woman, or like I remember he has this part in uh, Laura, uh, not Laura Palmer's eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the one? Uh, Laura, uh, fuck, the one with. Uh, uh, I'm never gonna know. I don't no, know. What it's about. Uh, the eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, the, the '70s that John Carpenter wrote. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's in that so movie. He's that. very young. But you're just like so. I think about him. Like he's been around. He'd been around for like 20 years before he's you know really doing these movies. And it's like God, he should have been in so many things. He's so good. But that's what I was going to mention about their first one because they kind of touch on that a little bit more in that one. Their sex life is off the chain. <laughs> off the chain. Lot a lot of sex references in the first one. Not that many in the second, but also, like, with both of them together, even, like, I'm, they're maybe on screen 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, bad. 
not not a good not a good look. Like yeah. they should have been in a lot more. Like Way I more. love I love the camp scenes. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but those are great. Y'all should have had. Them well, Angelica too. She was kind of in like a weird like. Uh, she was having kind of a moment with these because she'd also just done Nicholas Rogue's The Witches, which is probably the first movie that put her on my map as a kid because uh, I loved that movie so much. And then I'm like, oh, so then she kind of like, to, to my mind, I think she initially was just like, she's the woman who plays like weird witches and, you know, the kind of like spooky gothic people. Uh, but then later, you know, you realize, oh, she was a model on her father's son, Houston. Or, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, these other things. But yeah, she's, she's got just it. like, She's just able to own it. And even, like, in... She was one of my favorite parts in, uh, like, Life Aquatic. Oh, my God. You know, where it's, like... So good. Yeah, you know, she, like, leaves Bill Murray, and she's got, like, that uh. fucking place. She's got that, you know, the male servants, the long hair, and the oh, yeah. shirts. You're, like, yeah, she... She's still smoking the cigarettes. Like, she's so... And great. even, like, her little bit part in John Wick 3. Oh, yeah. John Vani. And she just gets, like, two knives through the hands, and she just takes it. Yeah. Like a fucking queen. I love her. I love so Angelica Houston so much. She's so good and everything. <laughs> yeah. No, royalty. Is, I know. Royalty. She is fucking straight up royalty. Bow down. Um, but yeah, like, oh, the other thing, we didn't talk about, like, you know, Carol Strickland, who plays Lurch, who's also the giant in Twin Peaks. Um, no yeah. shit. Yeah. I know that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is good. Yeah, that's so great. Carol Kane is grandma. Yeah, it's also great. Which I love because I think she's only like two years older than Angelica Houston. Oh yeah. Well, also it's funny because I never really thought this. It's a twin taxi reference. With she's Chris, in it. Christopher taxi. Lloyd and Carol Kane. They're both. Oh. They're both in Taxi. Um, yeah, but I love the yeah the the for me the big highlight of this movie. I mean, again, like I love all the production values. I love like. You know, that kind of high-gloss, high-concept 90s film, which at the time it just seemed like kind of years accepted, but I think watching them now, um, they seem so much more, like, um, beautiful and crazy, but uh, is all the camp stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole, like, production, which I guess also kind of plays back to the first movie, too, when they, uh, when Wednesday and Pugsley do the whole, like, Shakespeare you know, thing where they like it's like it turns into like the crazy Japanese bloodbath. Yeah, it's just like they're like literally like bl- like you know blasting the blood all so over the cool. audience. And then this when it turns, they like flip everything around. Also, the main mean girl at the camp is the same girl uh, who goes to the lemonade stand in the first movie. It's a funny ah! like little crossover. I also like that it's Camp Chippewa, a camp for privileged young adults. Oh yeah. And you find out that the bankroll to get them into this camp is twenty grand. So, so you're like holy shit. Great. And then when they go to like do roll call about who's in the show or whatever, and then they get to like the quote unquote like weird kids and it's just like a handful of Asians and a black guy. Oh yeah. And they can't pronounce Jamal's name. They're like Jam Jamal J- I don't know how do you say it? Jamal. It's Jamal. And you're like this is, they fucking nailed it. Like, what the hell oh, is going on it's here? It's so funny. Oh, I also love, like, well, the kid that they kind of befriend, like the little Jewish boy, uh, is the same guy who's the porn producer in The Deuce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a trip? And you're just like, wait, I know him. I know him. He's like, also oh, yeah, in, like, Walk Hard, like, a bunch of, like, uh, Judd Apatow stuff, just, like, little bit parts here and there. But it's just so funny seeing him going from, like, being, like, you know, 13 years old to being, like, you know, middle-aged. Yeah. Um, and I love the... Another thing that they just, like, nailed was uh, 
when he starts freaking out in the bunk when he sees a poster of Michael Jackson. Mm. He's like, ah! And that's like, a total, it's funny because, yeah, that joke only gets funnier and creepier. I know. <laughs> you are like, oh my God, you guys have a crystal ball? What the fuck is going on oh, here? Yeah. Uh, and then, like, I would go through the same thing that Wednesday Adams go through, went through if uh, I was forced to sit in a cabin and watch nothing but Disney movies all day long. Oh my God, that's uh, so funny. If you go through, like, yeah, like you're watching Annie. Which is funny because, yeah, the, John Huston directed it. Um, oh yeah, that's right. I didn't even think put, put that connection together. Yeah. Um, also, like uh, another thing that was I mean, they, they also watched the Brady Bunch in the Hut too, which uh, I made a note of because I'm like that's very appropriate. Oh, that's weird. Episode. Also, the makeup that they put on um, Pubert's like the baby, the actor. Oh yeah. Like how the fuck? Do, I have a one year old. How the fuck do you put makeup on a baby? Well, on two babies, it's like because they're twins two. for the yeah, no. and they're both little girls. Yeah. Super weird. I know that's that stuff is so crazy. Also, it's like it, it seems almost like so nuts, like having all this like crazy stunts, all this stuff for the babies. But it's like it's the way it's like almost like the confidence of the way that these movies are made. It, it's pulled off. It's mm-hmm. like there's a weird thing. It's like I guess um, there is kind of a gloss over it that I think you know plays into my own nostalgia when you know rewatching these movies I haven't seen in so long. Where mm-hmm. you're like. Just, yeah, that level of this kind of, like, high-element concept movie like this just seems, like, so foreign, special, and, like, cool. Well, and something even when it comes to, like, being a fan of the classics, especially, like, film noir and stuff even before that, was, like, just the way that Morticia Adams was lit, where it's just, like, that stream of light over her eyes. Oh, yeah. It's like you only see that in classic film. Yeah, totally. And you see that in Morticia. I guess because they were still using much more... uh, you know, like analog stuff. You know, it's like they, they, it wasn't yeah. like so digital. We're now like you can tweak so many things with color correction, or you can do this or that, or different like um, kind of high effects. Where there it was like it, it feels a little bit more crafted. Yeah, this film's also got some crazy one-liners. I only wrote down a couple, but there's really like dozens. Um, I really like. Oh, that's Fester. He's a lady killer, acquitted. <laughs> and then the other one is like he and then when uh pubert's got he's sitting in the crib and they're all like looking over like just googling and ogling over him it's like he's got my father's eyes angelica goes get those out of his mouth <laughs> I'm like oh my god just like those little things that just make it do what it do baby yeah um all right we're almost 40 minutes in and we haven't even talked about the brady i know yeah so i yeah anyhow yeah i, I love the honest family movies there really great they're really fun I will say I think both of us because of just the weird delays and the way we've had to do these we've had to talk, talk about these movies after having seen them like over a month previously so it's a little it's a little rusty they're a little rusty um, okay uh, get down the nitty gritty because we've had to do this in the series what do you like more one or two? Oh yeah um, I'm gonna maybe say two I think that I, I think I do agree that I think that I, I like the uh, Gomez and you know uh, Morticia stuff in the first one a little bit more, but I, I actually like the plotting of the second one a little bit better. I think it's a little bit more fun. I, I actually partly think Joan Cusack is so good throughout of it. I agree with everything you say, except I'm gonna lean I think towards one just because of the Morticia and what I totally like. get that. I just think I just I get more of them in the first one, and like everything else. I do like the fact that he's ripping off Tim Burton, though. I do love the thing... Well, there's a thing in the second one when uh, 
when they all end up at John Cusick's house. You know, it's all like modern or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, Morticia's like, oh, I mean, you know, she, she basically calls her out on all the horrible things she's done. She's like, I kind of appreciate that. But one thing, pastels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just game recognized game yeah. I uh, yeah so I guess I'll lean towards one just because I need more Angelica and um, Julia screen time that's totally fair so but I do like the value story more because we've touched on it the whole fester thing at the end where it's like oh it is him what like I still didn't understand when it happened it's like I thought they were just like accepting him. It's like, nah, but you're Fester now. And oh, then yeah. when well, I re- the thing is, he somehow like actually lost his identity in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, and then he was found, and they didn't know who he was. And then actually, they looked down and actually was. Actually and I guess that makes that would make sense for the fact of how like crazy weird he is. Um, also, uh, the cast of the original Ams family is really dope. Oh uh, my god. You John Aston, yeah, Colin Jones. Yeah. You get like Christopher guest players in there, so you're like, okay, I'm all about this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's move to the Brady Bunch in two seconds because I'm gonna refresh my drink. So with the power of editing, I forgot to mention there's one story that I want to include, which I'm really hoping my family never listens to this. Uh, the first time I ever watched Am's Family Values was a blockbuster rental that my friend Will checked out. And I was doing a sleepover at his house. And Will only lived uh, across the street from where I lived. And so <clears throat> maybe I was, okay, so it's 93, so 94, so I was like eight, nine at this point or something, probably when it came out on video. So I'm over there, we start watching the movie. It's crazy, I'm like having a good time. And I remember I had to like pa- press pause, I was like, oh, press pause, like I gotta run home and get something for whatever reason. And for whatever reason, I was just like left, cross street, went home, front door is unlocked, just fucking open up the door unannounced, and I caught my parents having sex. Ooh. <laughs> but I had no idea that that was what I was catching, because I walked in, and the way you would walk into my house that I grew up in is you walk in, and you're immediately like pretty much in the kitchen, and the living room was actually down like two stairs to the right of the staircase. So it's like almost you had to peek over the corner. So I really only caught like 30% of the two bodies that were doing whatever. (laughs) But they were in the living room making it happen. And my mom was wearing something risque. (laughs) And I walked in. I was like, uh. And I remember I was like, my room was upstairs. So I was like, I was like, oh, I forgot something. I ran up. I just like didn't understand what's happening. So I was just like, whatever. I ran up. And my dad was just like. You know, you should you should knock before you come in. And then, like, now I'm just like, why don't you lock your door, you psycho? Like, whatever. But also, he's just like, what the? Why would you? I thought you were staying the night at whatever. And so that was my Adam's Family Values story. Family Values. Brady Bunch. On, on to new families. Yeah. Uh, so this one, so this movie, uh, I guess these movies both. I love them both. Uh, the Brady Bunch was a little bit more of a bigger part of my life just because the Brady Bunch was always on TV. Like, the Adams Family, like, it was such a really special thing. Like, when it, the... I remember it was on TBS in the 80s, and it was like, I, you know, would just have to try to time myself to see it. Brady Bunch was always on. In Portland, uh, it was broadcast on KPTV, like, every day, constantly. So I just grew up loving it. And it's one of those weird things. I think a lot of people, you know, obviously it has this huge cult following, but it's for such a, like weird goofy show that it really truly is 
there's so much of the style elements. I think that it's what we were all drawn to. You know, like that weird, like it's in that in between of sixties and seventies where it's like, you know, that kind of like brightly colored, groovy stuff with the insane clothes. At the time, we thought the clothes were like super crazy and tacky, but also kind of loved them and just created this whole thing. Now it's like obviously we look at it and you're like the mid-century design of their house. There's mm-hmm. so many things that like obviously influence have influenced like you know design for so long, but. Uh, you know, I just fucking loved the show. So when the movie was coming out... Same. I watched the show religiously, too, at my grandma's house. And my aunt had the exact same staircase that they had. Oh, like, great. the where it was just, like, the, the pillars were just sticking out and it was carpeted. The railing, like, anytime I went to my aunt's house, it was like, the Brady Bunch. Like, whatever. Oh, I was yeah. all about their staircase. Yeah, it's a, it definitely, like, it tapped into something. So I think even though the, the, you know, Gen X era, like, it was just a really big touchstone and when the movie was coming out it was super into it it was promoted highly like on MTV and whatever and I remember when I was in high school they sent to the high school like all of these Brady Bunch promo like book covers like the paper you'd fold over your like school books and I would steal stacks of them I was super into it <laughs> it's like, well, oh, I, I know like, what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So I had ton- so all of my like school books were all covered in Brady Bunch movie like book covers. Hilarious. Um, totally and so the movie came out, and it's funny because I think the concept of the movie they did such a really great job of how they made the story work. Because you're like, okay, if you're like Nailed make it. make a movie based on the Brady Bunch, like how, how do you do that? What do you you know what, what's what does the Brady Bunch mean to people? How do you make this work? Because I would think that they would just go back to the 70s and be exactly. like, it's the 70s again. Exactly. Like, and that's like what, and you're like, well then what do you do? Because it's like, you know, the the stuff going on in the show is so kind of like corny, but I think they played it campy, but they played it affectionately campy, which yeah. is kind of honestly like, if there is something that could nail the rhythm that my brain works on is something along those lines where it's like I love these things they are ridiculous but it's like to me it's it's the way that like religious people feel about God or Jesus or something like I you know it's like I I revere these things but I also see how ridiculous they are that's exactly how I feel about the Denzel Washington movie we're gonna watch after we wrap this up uh, Ricochet if you haven't seen Ricochet people go and watch it it's on HBO right now it'll blow your mind that's it and so the fact that they came up with this concept where and it's great because they don't waste any time in trying to explain how this concept exists no there's not like a though there's a time warp or there was like this whole other there's no major plot like the first Adam's Family movie you know has the whole like oh is is it Fester we don't get the whole Adam's family because it's like we have to have this whole thing is it real fester or fake fester what's going on and then it is and we have we don't have to deal with any of this in this movie absolutely not this movie is just straight up for whatever reason the Adam's uh, the, the Brady Bunch are the family that we watched on TV and they'll even like a little reference there's so many easter eggs in both movies uh, oh like, especially yeah. the second one. Oh yeah because I was picking up on that and I hadn't seen episodes in like decades oh yeah and I'm like oh they're going to Hawaii oh there's the Tiki God Oh, there's like whatever. Well, the first one with the nose jaw or with Jan, the broken nose thing yeah. with the football. Like, you're just like, oh, I remember all these episodes. Yeah, it's Call so back. great. So it, it does all of that stuff in a really funny, great way. And then the casting, again, is so good. You have like Shelley Long, mm-hmm. who, like, you know, like throughout the 80s, she was like, again, like, where's Shelley Long been since? You know, she hasn't really done a whole lot. Um, Gary Cole is so good. The best. He's like just amazing. And then even like, it's funny, so Christine Taylor, so, oh, it's funny, so, like, both people, so Christine Taylor, 
uh, back in the late 80s, maybe like 89, right around the time I got cable, on Nickelodeon there was this uh, TV show called Hey Dude. Do you know this at all? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. So, I used to watch that religiously. Yeah. That and Pete and Pete. Oh yeah. But I, I liked do, uh, Hey Dude way more. Yeah. Yeah. So like Hey Dude was like such a big deal for me. Like, um, And it, it's like it's the first episode that I got into was they had like a Halloween episode and there's all my spooky stuff going on and I'm like, what was this show? And I got really into it. But I always thought Christine Taylor, who was on the show, I'm like, God, she looks so much like Marsha Brady. You know, and then of course, like later on, she ends up playing her, uh, which is just so funny. She ended up marrying Ben Stiller, and they're still married. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so then the other, um, the, the other, like, cast member is, uh, what's his name right now? It's, uh, my. Which, which, it's, which uh, member? Uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes. Oh, so, Greg Brady? Yeah. So yeah. this is. The really funny thing, and I didn't realize this until, like, um, you know, probably about a year ago. Like, there's uh, an ex-co-worker of mine, or I guess a co-worker of mine, if I ever go back to work, uh, <laughs> who, uh, her, she's a, a huge, her and her family, actually her family are huge Brady Bunch fanatics. Like, her dad is, like, a major, major, major Brady Bunch <laughs> fanatic. So, she, there's videos of her reenacting Brady Bunch episodes when she's, like, six years old. Like, super crazy. But she lent me this VHS tape that's just full of like TV shows from the 80s. And there is this TV show that I had never heard of. I somehow had totally missed from like the late 80s called Day by Day. Do you know the show at all? I know the name. Yeah, so Julie Louise Dreyfus was on the show. That's why I know. Um, and Courtney Thorne Smith and other people. But Christopher Daniel Barnes, who plays Greg Brady, was on the show. There's a whole Brady Bunch themed episode on this show where his character fantasizes that his family he's watching a Brady Bunch marathon or whatever and he has this like crazy extended dream sequence where he imagines that his family is the Brady Bunch and all the original Brady Bunch characters come on and he basically plays a member of the Brady Bunch family That's like wild. six years before he actually plays Greg Brady in the show and I saw this episode I'm like this is so crazy um, but yeah so he is also just like so good is Greg but I think the real like the MVP, the most important person in this entire movie is Jennifer Lee Cox as Jan Brady. Wow, insane, insane! Like the, especially with the first movie because like it really focuses on her psychosis. Oh yeah, and like the voices in her head and all that shit. And you think that she has a prosthetic nose? Oh, yeah, nope, nope. This is her. That's she is her. so funny. The only other thing I remember seeing her in, she was in these two movies, and she, I remember she was in some like weird commercial, like probably Skechers or something. And she was supposed to be like, you know, like I don't know, like kind of urban or whatever. And she's like, there's some like you know Skechers shoes, and, and she comes on, and she's like, they're fat. <laughs> and yes. then the thing, but it's like the way she says it, you think you realize it's such a joke, or there's something like she's just like so inherently she's, funny. She's picking up with her, and she's older than everyone else. In the, I mean, like all the kids at least. Like she's I think, like 26. Yeah, I was gonna say like she's in her 20s. Yeah, she's like way older than everybody else, but she is so funny. Actually, like I mean, all of them are. Like Christine Taylor is hilarious. I know, and like her like lesbian friend oh. in the first one that's just trying to get some, but it's just like totally cool with being her best friend. Being like, yeah, it's so good. I Perfect. Totally I was like that with a girl where I'm just like the the hottest girl in school, and I'm just like, it's cool. We're like best friends. Fine. Oh yeah. Like this is close as I'll get. It's fine. Like I'm like, oh that's so real. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I just love all of that. Like I love like 
you know, Jan's like struggles to become popular and what to do. And also, I love like the uh, her guidance counselor is RuPaul. I know that's such a cool '90s thing, <laughs> yeah. but oh yeah. And it's weird too because like you have two nostalgic periods because it's just like people of the '70s, people of the '90s, especially now the '90s. Oh and yeah, it's just like you get the best of both worlds in the same movie. I know we've got the the, the leap generations because the '90s and '70s got really big. You know, yeah. suddenly it was like well, when I was in high school, it was all about '70s. It was oh, always yeah. like. When I was in high school, it was like Jet from Australia was like the new fucking ACDC. It's oh, all about yeah. like boot cut jeans. Um, I mean, like the strokes like redefined like what people wore. They were straight out of the 70s, like, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, with the Brady Bunch movie, it was just just predicting what was going to happen later also, on. Also, I love Michael McKean as the. Oh my the God, the next door neighbor. Yeah, and yeah. Gene Smart, who's his Gene wife. Smart, the fucking drunk piece of shit. <laughs> I love her hangover. Like the the, the ice pack remedy. Her trying to bang all the Brady boys. Oh, yeah, she's like, come on in, I'll make you a turkey sandwich or whatever. You're like, Gene. <laughs> and it's so good because like she's like like the renaissance of her on The Watchmen. It's oh, just like, I need more Gene Smart in my Me life. Me too. It's like, I mean, I always liked her on Designing Women. But it's like it's like she is so much more than that. I guess in both these movies, like I feel like all these movies are filled with people that I'm like I've needed more of. Like I need more of all of these people. And then even like having some callbacks to the original cast, like Florence Henderson is like being like oh, the grandma. Her cameo is like, so hilarious. Oh my god! And then uh, the truck driver. Um, oh yes, and and B Davis. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which also is funny because that whole scene. Yes, after like. Uh, you know, when Jan ends up, like, running away, and it turns into a taxi driver, and you get the fake mm-hmm. taxi driver theme, you know, and she's walking around with yeah. her with her, her, her like, afro. fake afro wig. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love all of that. But it's also the, the ways that, like, it plays in... It, it, it is allowed to play in the kind of, like, the cheesiness of the original show. You know, like, even, like, you know, uh, Mike giving all of the, like, you know, little lessons, and it's like, you know... We, He's super like long winded, and it's like some of those are like some of the funniest scenes. But even the stuff with like Marsha, like when her nose gets all fucked up, you know. Uh, but then like you know, there's the whole like Jan has all the crazy dreams that she wakes up one day and it's all gone. Kind of like this weird like sitcom logic. How like whatever fucked up thing's gonna happen in one episode is gonna be totally like erased like in the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many like good like lines in this too. It's the whole scene when. Uh, when Jan is like going to school, it's like even Venus is playing, and everyone's like, "Oh, she's such a fucking babe." Yeah. And J- Jack Noseworthy, who's also like such a weird '90s guy that like has totally disappeared by love, and uh, he's talking about like Jan to like Brad. He's like, "Oh, she's harder to get into than a Pearl Jam concert," oh, which is yeah. so like kitschy '90s. Oh my that god. That it's like yeah. the '70s kitsch of that is now '90s. Ki- it's like the it's the tone is just played so well oh, that yeah. it just keeps like echoing um, super crazy but uh, James Avery uh, who plays Carl Winslow on Family Matters of course is also one of the neighbors in the neighborhood community mm-hmm. when they're selling out and he's right. also in Die Hard 2 so he has appeared twice in, in the, the series that's so funny he's like the Robert Davi he's him and Robert Davi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, this movie fucking rocks. And Davy I, Jones too. I oh my god, it's so funny. He's like get Davy Jones to play a thing, and that's the thing about Marsha, and it's so true, so true that I don't know if they like accidentally hit this like on the head or they're like nailing it. It doesn't matter what the hottest girl in school wears. 
thinks or says she's the hottest girl in school, so it's fine. <laughs> Where it's just like she likes all this dumb shit and she's like super out of touch and she's like all about herself, but it doesn't matter well, then, because she's the hottest girl when, in school. Because they're all trying to get the money. Cause the whole, the, the, I guess the one plot in this is that they have to raise the $20,000 to like try to keep their house over the weeks. So they all try to get jobs. But then uh, when Marsha decides to become a model, and they go to the modeling agency and they talk to that other model. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, what do you do? I model jeans. Oh, what kind? Guess. Oh, um, Oshkosh. Yeah, she has, like, doesn't matter. And then for that split second when you think that they're going to work with Jan instead of her, but the guy's actually just like escorting her out of the building. And you're like, ah! But then like, and Marsha could totally be a model, but they want her to cut her hair and she's like, get well, the funny the way the joke is like it's like oh you should cut your hair you know lose twenty pounds get a boob job and yeah. then she slaps him she's like cut my hair yeah <laughs> you know like it's like those it's like the funny that's the thing is so great is like those jokes are still really funny and it's funny because these movies both um, there is a lot of like there's lots of dick jokes I think especially in the second one and like just like little like. You kind of risk a humor, but it's really all still very G-level humor. I don't remember any of this, like, when I was... Because I saw this movie in the theaters. That's the thing. I've seen, like... As far as I can tell, or I can remember, I saw three movies in the theater with my entire family. And I'm talking my sister, my mom, my dad, my grandma. Uh, we'll call it at that, because I don't think my grandpa ever wants anything. Because I, I grew up, like, a couple blocks away from my grandma and grandpa. And we walked to the mall, because we can walk to the mall. Yeah. And like uh, we went to the movies 10 there, and we saw the Brady Bunch movie. And uh, we saw that. We saw Titanic together. And then on my birthday, we all went, because I wanted to see a movie that came out on my birthday. So whatever year that was, maybe it was 10 or 11, we all went and saw Fire Down Below with Howie Long. It's a ter like a, like an exploitation like action movie from the nineties that like nobody talks about now, and everyone is like, I can fucking believe we're in the movie theater watching this movie. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, we saw the Brady Bunch, we saw Titanic, but like the Brady Bunch, just like then when that came out, and then just like when I saw it on the climate that we're living in today with my wife, who hadn't seen the movie since it came out, I'm sure too, because she's not following up on Brady Bunch magic. Yeah, and you know, we like we said, we saw this like a month ago, so like. We were in the thick of like how crazy this COVID thing was, like um, the George Floyd thing had just happened, like what my my wife was getting into sourdough starters. <laughs> anybody living in this climate now, I don't know if anybody listening to this like ten years from now is gonna understand That's what that what means. Was going on. Yes. But sourdough starters is what was going on. I was making sourdough pizzas, and we were watching the Brady Bunch movie, and it was just like an hour and a half of just like easygoing bliss like it was just like <laughs> everything was fine it was like we're watching the Brady Bunch movie like everything is fine right now and that is like so hard to find in times like this and that's like the, the real magic of the Brady Bunch movie it's a total comfort movie both these movies are I really think number one is I feel like number two is like a little more um not risque but it's just like a little more like it's definitely they, they, they up things a lot they up things and I feel like it's just more like uh, not angry but like it's like something like I don't know like it, it just is, feels like dirtier yeah the first one is just perfect yeah the second one isn't it's not like it's there's perfect and there's flawed it's just like it's a different feel and uh, I guess I'm like you know stomping on what I think is better the first one and the second one more but I feel like I appreciate the first one more because it's just like, just 
Yeah, just a breath of fresh air. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's so great. I also think this is the same year that Clueless came out too. I think there was something in like 1995 that like everything was this just, type of like yeah. um, really great light. God, Clueless was so good too. Oh yeah, it's such a good movie. I, yeah. That was like the I think the last movie I saw in a theater before COVID hit, and it was like so fun. What? Where did you see what? The Hollywood Theater. They played. Oh, they God. played Clueless, and it was a packed house, you know, like it would be, like and it was like be. so great. I saw Clueless with my sister when it came out, and uh, yeah, it was good. It's so good. That was also, I mean, like, you know, not to you know go on a tangent, but it's like. Clueless is so interesting because I mean it's a great movie it's like mm-hmm. one of the greatest but you know that kind of started its whole trend where it was like then afterwards like everyone was taking like classic literature and turning them into teen comedies where you had like 10, Ten Things, things I, I Had About, about You, you. That's like the... and you had like uh, She's All That was well, they, uh, and then they did and... Romeo and Juliet just like straight up yeah totally but it was like that was like the one that really like kicked this whole yeah. other wave of teen movies and it was all like you know adaptations of I don't know if you ever saw this, but like, yeah, my sister's favorite movie when we were growing up was Can't Buy Me Love. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Okay, yeah, so then when Clueless came out, we went and saw that, and then we left. She's like, that's my favorite movie now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, Clueless 1, Can't Buy Me Love 2. Clueless is also so great. She's just like, who knew? I mean, like, uh, uh, Lucy Silverstone. Well, oh, yeah. you know, she was like the girl from the Aerosmith videos. You know, and it was like, oh yeah, she's crazy. Don't get videos. it started with. And then you like you go to this movie, and you're like, she is so dynamite in this movie. And then you have Paul Rudd, who's yeah. just like never been more charming, and just like crushable. You're like, oh yeah, he's so great. He's so great. Yeah. Very pretty sequel. Yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> um, so this movie, it, it, it kind of piles on. It starts off as a Raiders of the Lost Ark riff. Uh, where he even starts with like the uh, or it's even like uh, Temple of Noah's Raiders of the Lost Ark is the first one where they have like the, the Paramount logo turns into the mountaintop and then he's like uh, you, you know, you know me, this guy who's yeah, excavating whatever he ends up finding this like uh, Chinese horse you know and then he's like sending it back and then you know like you, then you flip to an auction with like Christie's or something and mm-hmm. you see the same sort of horse and it's going the starting bid is like like two hundred million dollars, or no, it's five million. And it sells for twenty. Yeah, um, it's like, well, wow, there's one more. Who knows where it is? And it's, of course, it's the horse that's been sitting in the Brady Bunch house uh, this whole time. And then they're like, oh, I wonder what their story is. And then you just like, do 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 do. Yeah, and you um, jump right in. I yeah. Never mind. I totally lost the thread. I was like, here's what I'm going to say, and then it never happened. <laughs> um, yeah, never mind. Oh yeah, no. Go for um, it. So yeah, so you get this whole thing, and we end up like you know going back, and we seeing the Brady's, and uh, like I don't know, it's just like again, like you've got like all of this shit. Like you, I guess with this one, it feels less like the dynamic of the first one was definitely like the culture clash. Yes, of, like it's the '90s and the like. So for what I like how they moved past that. They're yeah, like okay, you've already like, seen that shit. So like, here's the next step in the evolution of whatever. And that's what makes both of these sequels so good, where they just are like not relying on their predecessor to be like, here's some more of that. Yeah. And totally. so like you can almost appreciate the fact it's like okay, like Morticia, and whatever, like they're not really in the second M's family, but it's like Lester really twice. Yeah. Totally. Lester, Lester, whatever. But like with the Brady Bunch sequel, it's like okay, you everybody understands that like 
they're the 70s and they're in the 90s. Okay, yeah. cool. So now here's the second story. Exactly. So this one, like, the whole concept is this guy who's, like, discovered this horse, which actually isn't, it gets kind of complicated because it's not really him. He ends up coming uh, to the family. He's Carol's husband. And this all, like, is based on the fact that, like, in the original series, you never know what happened to um, Carol's husband. Like, if she's a widow or if she got divorced, they totally just ignored it. So they play with that in this movie, where it's like this guy shows up and he's like, "Oh, I'm your, I'm your first husband," you know, and like I've actually been like missing. It's kind of like there's there are a few like movies like that, like back uh, like in the 30s and 40s, like My Favorite Wife, where Irene then comes back to Cary Grant. She's like, "Oh, I've actually been like after she's been declared dead, she's actually he's marrying someone else, and she's like, oh, 'Oh, I'm actually I've just been on this island with Randolph Scott for seven years or whatever,' um, <laughs> and." You know, in this one, he's coming back. He's trying to get this guy's trying to get the horse, and he's like a total, you know, con artist. You know that. So like, oh well, you don't really look like him. And he's like, tells some crazy bullshit story about how his face is totally reconstructed, and he's you know six feet or six inches taller because you know he was stomped by an elephant that made it whatever. Like, some, yeah, like so, all this kind of basic bullshit. So they like accept him, but then there's all this other stuff they've added to this movie where you have um, like you know Greg wants to get his own bedroom. You know, sort of like always fighting over the bathroom, so he ends up getting in the attic. And it plays in that whole like episode, but then like Marsha goes up there too. But then the whole like the budding romance between like Greg and Marsha kind of reminded me of like it happened one night where it's just like the walls of Jericho where they have the partition. <laughs> totally, and I love like the shadows. Just like you get like uh, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be with <laughs> yeah, Jesus, yeah. And uh, I love how they incorporate the seventies pop in both films to mm-hmm. so, like. You know, like, when, oh, I hate when it's, like, on the nose. But, like, when it comes to that, you're like, it's perfect. Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's so good. There's only, like, weird things. Even, like, uh, we talked about the, uh, all the, like, kind of Easter eggs and stuff. And well, being, like, how, like, you'll see the, uh, the, like, bottle of Wesson in the background. Which Florence Henderson was, like, the spokesperson for Wesson. For oh, whatever. I didn't she, know that. Yeah, she had done tons of commercials. So there's also, like, weird little, like, shit like that. But this one, it's funny because Florence Henderson, I guess, she, you know, was kind of put off because this one, the director of the second one, I can't think of her name right now, she didn't want or didn't extend invitations. I don't know how it all worked, but the uh, the original cast members, none of them make an appearance in the second movie. Where a lot of them, uh, yeah, the no, was that was kind of a bummer to me, yeah. So the first one, yeah, yeah, like you have Greg, you have the original, like uh, Christopher Knight, like uh, Florence Henderson, Ampy Davis, they all kind of make like little cameos. Robert Reed was dead, and I don't know, even Marie McCormick, and Eve Plum is kind of not super into a lot of that stuff. Um, though ironically I just watched Blue Ruin for the first time recently and Eve Plum has the smallest he's good yeah it's really good she's like so white trash and crazy it is weird in Blue Ruin though when he's like because you look at him and you're like this guy's gonna fucking get revenge and then he shaves his beard and you're like oh (laughs) I know totally it's just like a little dweeb face yeah you're like it's like me like after like because I grow a beard in the winter and then I shave it off and I always just look in the mirror and go little baby oh Oh." but no yeah but she's great in that but um yeah, you have, like, you know, all these kind of, like, little, like, it's, like, anecdotal little mini dramas going on throughout the movie that, for me, are, like, super entertaining. Like, I love, like, uh, you know, you have, like, Jan's whole thing in this movie is the fact that she has her fake boyfriend, George Glass, you know, so there's oh, yeah. all this stuff going on, and you get, like, you're gonna get another, like, RuPaul cameo, but then you get, like, the theater off the pool, and, uh... 
you know, RuPaul's daughters. It's basically the same combination. She's the three daughters, but it's like the one who's kind of the jam. She's like, why is it always Moesha? Moesha, Moesha, Moesha. Moesha. Which is great because in the 90s, Moesha was like a very popular name. I know. It wasn't a very popular TV show. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I watched Moesha. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's funny. Once I moved off of uh, Fresh Prince Mm -hmm. of Bel-Air, Family Matters, either because they were done or I got older, it went from that to I was obsessed with Martin Moesha and Sister Sister. This is actually, I'm going to go on a little tangent right now because I, I, I was talking to someone else about this. So there is that audiobook I listened to, and it's actually the whole history of American pop culture. And it goes from, you know, literally like minstrel shows to professional sports and whatever. But it gets to the 90s, and it explains why so many of those TV shows, like why black TV shows were so big in the 90s uh-huh. on network TV. And the reason was that white audiences all moved to cable at that point. So at that point, the main audience for like network TV were like black urban audiences. So you had like channels like Fox and UPN yeah. and all stuff. And so like they suddenly, for like maybe the first time ever, like started having like so many primarily black TV shows. Uh, yeah, Sister Sister, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Moesha. Well, you know, the like, 70s kind of had that too. Not as much. I mean, you had a little bit because you had the Norman Lear stuff. You had stuff like Good Times and like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the one with Red Fox like Sam, Sanford and Son yeah a lot of that but um, not quite the same level okay yeah but in the 90s you said like so much I mean Fox had like you had Rock and you had Martin and you had like In Living Color and Living Single True. and you know there's just like oh shit I watched all that stuff yeah like so many of those shows um, you know but it was like it was big I, I never really put that together like why that was and then they explained in the book oh yeah yeah it's wild I didn't know I didn't have cable so that's yeah, yeah. I, I watched basic cable and I loved black mm-hmm. culture and uh, it was just perfect it was timing. Like perfect time. No, it was perfect it was timing. So dynamite for that. Um, and I also love like this somebody that like because you now Carol has this whole dilemma where it's like, well, should she leave Mike to be with the the husband who's like, you know, kind of a crazy scumbag? Um, and I love like there's the scene like where she goes because all these like weird like gay jokes too where she goes to get her hair cut. And she goes into David, David Spade. Spade. Yeah, the, I was, yeah, the fucking things in this movie. Okay, David Spade, Rosie O'Donnell, Richard Belzer, RuPaul, and then uh, uh, well, Zsa Zsa Gabor. Yeah, Zsa Zsa Gabor. It's the last. It's funny because uh, both Josh Gabor and um, John Hillerman, like from Magnum PI, it was both of their last movies, uh, and even though they lived for like another twenty years. But I love the whole David Spade thing. It's like she's telling the whole story, and it's like it sounds like. She's like in some crazy like she's like oh like my different husbands and whatever and I'm with like yeah just like whoa tell me more I know and it's then like pavements it. like cut your hair like starts playing I just love all of the, like that whole scene this yeah. is like really dynamite and um, yeah what a great call to a song like um, I'm not a huge pavement fan or whatever but that song is like oh what a what a great cutaway <laughs> like it's just like the best song oh yeah it's so good I just love all that. And then I love the whole scene too, where you have uh, it's when Alice ends up like finding that guy's mushrooms, his bag of mushrooms. So she ends up cooking in like the spaghetti. Yeah. And then he, when he trips out, yeah. And then it suddenly turns into the the Brady Bunch cartoon show from the seventies. Yeah. And you're like, that is just so great. I also love when it just goes. What's her name? Alice. Yeah. Yeah. When it just cuts back and it's just like she ate some of it too, and she's like totally fine. But then she just like walks into the fridge, and that's <laughs> yeah. the end of the scene. And you're like. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then when she comes back later, like the next day, she walks out like, oh, 
the light does go off, whatever. And I'm like, I was thinking about that. I'm like, I love that crazy logic. I almost wish a sitcom now just could accept shit like that and just like, just play it off. Yeah. And it just doesn't have to be a thing. It's just like, well, even like the just... first one, I love like, you know, Alice. Oh my God. I'm just like totally realizing a BC Boys lyric right now. I'm like Sam the Butcher bringing Alice the meat. I'm like oh, yeah. Fred Flintstone driving around on both feet. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm just figuring this out. But it's just like in the first movie where it's just like Sam is just like boning the shit out of her. Oh, yeah. And she comes out in that like fucking ni- weird nighty thing. And the- he's always having these like double he's entendre doing some meat. I'm like Sam the Butcher bringing Alice the meat? <laughs> Fuck yeah, BC Boys. And they recorded that yeah, before the movie, so they were they Well, they were no, they were on, I mean, the TV show. they've always been on point. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. They got it. But I think it's also, like, part of that whole, like, it's that, that pop mentality. It's like that kind of hip reading of these kind of, like, goofy things that kind of had more meaning. I guess it's definitely, like, that has always kind of been an influence to me. Um, but yeah, I love like that whole thing. So then, you know, after all of this shit, then you do have that other auction because it's like he's trying to find the fucking. Oh, they also have a good shopping. Both movies have great shopping. The first movie they go to Sears and they do the whole. Put on like, your Sunday's finest. We're going to Sears. <laughs> yeah. That's the best. Yeah. And then they fuck with camcorders. Yeah, it's so great. And that used to be me <laughs> when I go to Sears, like because they have the camcorders out and they have the it hooked up to the TV with the cords. Same, same, yeah. same. It's so great. And this one, they end up just going to like. The mall or whatever they have, like that little vintage shop they go to, yeah. and they like sing the whole song. That's the second like, one. Trapped. Yeah, this is the, the second one. Um, and because he's trying to get the horse back, and they have the auction, and he ends up pissing off Josh like a bore. It's her and Rosie O'Donnell mm-hmm. that are like bidding against him, and like all of that, I really love. And then I love uh, this whole thing where he gives Peter the nunchucks, and he ends up like uh, like fucking up, like. Peter is going to like the architecture firm that you know Mike works at, and he ends up like fucking up the boss. Because Mike is trying to you know get money off of like trying to sell one of his designs, uh, he ends up like selling it to he you know keeps striking out, but then this uh, like kind of Asian like it's like a fitness gym or something. But then the guy, the other like fake Carol's other husband or whatever, like he ends up like uh, oh no, this is in the first movie, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting this all... Now I'm getting everything all, like... Jumbled, yeah. Yeah, they're all getting jumbled up together. But I love how they bring up the whole thing, how uh, he had built the orphanage that collapsed on Christmas Day from a very Brady Christmas. I and you're, you're like, oh, it's so funny that you end up, like, incorporating all of that. But um, there's the whole thing where Peter ends up, like, he had the nunchucks. But apparently they couldn't play the sequel in England because they have a ban on having nunchucks in movies. Sure. So the whole movie had to be like video nasty. Exactly. <laughs> it was totally banned in, in England because of that whole scene. But I do love the thing when uh, Mike ends up going to go see, see the cops. It turns into like an episode of Homicide. Mm. Yeah, because you have like Richard Belzer. I love mm-hmm. that whole scene. Uh, I was thinking Law and Order Richard Belzer, but I forgot oh, yeah, about exactly. Homicide. Yeah, Law and Order too. Yeah. Um, and then it turns into like the shaky handheld camera. Like, yeah, all of that. Um, and you know they all end up going to Hawaii. That's that right. whole thing. And then again, like you have the weird, like all the crazy, like gay jokes, where it's just like, oh, I wish it was gay again. Like I want to be these guys like talking about, like, oh, our you know, our policies on on you know gay rights or whatever. Just say like, I wish it was gay with Marsha and Jan and 
whatever. It's like, whoa, it's almost getting really freaky. Um, but then, of course, she ends up like, they all end up going. She ends up meeting a real George class. That's really great. You have Dr. Whitehead, like the original, like the Brady Bunch episodes when they're in Hawaii. But it's like Richard, uh, John Hillerman from Magnum P.I. Um, and then you also realize, too, that like, as everything like comes unfolded, how. Um, like Dr. Whitehead, like his old son, his son was lost in that ship and it was Gilligan. And they were like, a, yeah. And the whole, like, thinks that also Sherwood Schwartz, who created the Brady Bunch, his previous TV show was Gilligan's Island. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's like, they, there's Man, that guy's got a truck like, full of money. References or, to like, yeah, also, like, another, like, totally goofy TV show. It's, like, total, it's a part of our pop culture. Like, everyone thing, knows yeah, who, like... It's all about, like, they should keep the high concept thing going because if you think about it, anything that's, like, super high concept turns out to be, like, like bonkers. Like, Even if it's dumb, it's memorable. Yeah, like, lost. Yeah, totally. Boom! Like, yeah, I don't know. It's... Yeah. Get those concepts going. And it's, like, basically, want. like, just look at... Just do... I mean, like... You can look at any of those 60s shows, like, they're all science fiction. Oh, yeah. I mean, all it's, like, because they just have, like, weird, a weird, I mean, think about, yeah, obviously, the Beverly Hillbillies and, like, you know, uh, Green Acres was based off of, like, the Egg and I, but it's, like, you just have these, like, weird ideas, and even it's, like... Well, it's, like, yeah, like, Bewitch. It's, like, she's a fucking genie. Oh, yeah. What? Well, that's I Dream of Genie, which actually then ties in, because then at the very end of this movie... When Mike's first wife. Oh shows up my god, that's right! Wow, I totally <laughs> segued that really well. You know, so it's just like I love like that whole like just playing with all of these little like elements. The whole wedding scene is also like yeah, just really great in this movie. I love both. I think that um, I don't know if I could really for me. I think all these movies, these two movies blend together. I think the second one is a little bit dirtier, mostly in the weird like yeah, the, sort of incestuous stuff and the we weird like sort of. Well, because they're not like blood relatives, sure. but they are. It's frowned upon. It's like it tenant bombs. Yeah, um, totally. That's the thing. The incestual relationships. I forgot. Oh, fuck, I was talking to somebody about it, but like, and now I can't think of anything because I've been drinking all night for like the first time in a minute. And it's like uh, incestual relationships really were a thing for like fifteen years in Hollywood movies. Starting with uh, Back to the Future, I know that much. That, that one's also And then weird. it just kept on going, and I can't think of any other example, but trust, it's out there. Well, I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, in more modern stuff, there's like, you know, you get it obviously in like things like uh, Game of Thrones and like Crimson Peak. Oh, yeah, you're thinking and, even like, um, yeah, Gladiator, when you're yeah. like going that far back, yeah, I remember. also like, we're way more... It's even like close. like Joaquin Phoenix when they were like even asking him in the movie it's uh what is it like uh why are you why are you trying to like um, I'm paraphrasing of course like why are you trying to fuck your sister <laughs> or whatever he's like it's, it's pure blood yeah whatever it's like that was his whole excuse like well it's pure that so, was the thing that was get, the thing gotta get it but I remember the time I first saw this movie it was like this is like so like, the jokes are like dirtier but again it's like nothing's like raunchy it's no. like raunchy humor no but it's like everything well there's also like all those little like jokes about like I know where like I want to put my hands around or whatever it's like, things, but like you know it's like and it's funny because as silly and as goofy as that is and maybe it's also just like maybe it's my age or just the fact that like um, I just I love humor like that I just love like weird silly double entendres yeah and um, there is something that's just like I don't know just a bratty little kid in me that just loves dirty jokes like that I love Mike Brady too where the, like he always has to like sum everything up and like, like okay here's the lesson for the day and he says and they always trying to cut him off because he's so 
long-winded. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because I actually don't remember that remember in the show. Remember the show as much. Me neither. But it's one of those things that just, like, it's, it plays so well. And yeah. Greg Cole is so funny. I mean, obviously he's great in, like, Office Space and so many things. Well, yeah, he's gone on to do so much great comedy stuff. I mean, Judd Apatow, once again, has used him, uh, like, in Pineapple Express. He's the yeah. heavy in it. And he's so good because, like, him and Rosie Perez's relationship shouldn't be that good it should be like cardboard because it's like just this throwaway like stoner action comedy that they're trying to play back from the 80s I was so good at that for a while I haven't got ca- ca- his most recent stuff or even like uh, King of Staten Island I haven't seen the King of Staten Island but I've seen literally everything he's else everything else he's ever done including like the documentaries yeah so I am like up to speed on Jetty Boy um, yeah so that whole deal with like Gary Cole and, yeah I don't know It's he's so good um, all right, so you got to pick which one's better, first or the second. Man, I don't know. I I mean, I almost want to go with the first one too, maybe. I don't know. It's tough because I really do like I do love them both so much, and to me, like I also start blending which happens in which movie because they all kind of like blend mm-hmm. together for me. Yeah. Um. Th- these are, this is, I guess, the one example of the the original sequel where. There isn't such a huge gap between the differences in both for me. Um, I mean, I, I, I can totally see like, your your point earlier. The second one being a little bit. Cause I mean, actually, like Florence Henderson even had gone saying like I think the second one's a little meaner or a little like there's it's like a little harsh. Bit, yeah, in a way. And I kind of I I like that. It, I, I think like it's the... like it can hold that element of it, but I do think the original one has like so, this. There's so much stuff in it that's just so funny. Yeah. And it's so great. I guess maybe also having Gene Smart, having Michael McKean. Maybe I will go yeah. with the first one. All right. And there's a lot there. And yeah, like all the original cast members. The first one, yeah, I think you, you would have to go with the, sec- the first one. The, the second one, I think, has so much in it that I still love it so much. Me too. And I like the same with Adam's Family Values. So, yeah. uh, all right, we're going first. Okay. So we did it. We've wrapped up the sequel series. Going back to the, the jump. Uh, even though, upon further review, we're not fans of the Die Hard series, but we definitely picked Die Hard 1 over Die Hard 2. Yeah. We definitely picked Predator 1 over Predator 2, even yeah. though Predator 2 is sneaky, sneaky good. So it's don't really good. Sleep it's it's on almost it. good on like a, a totally different way. If you, if you didn't if it to, wasn't if you, a Predator movie, yeah. it would be. Or if the first Predator wasn't so amazing, you know? <sighs> it's so. Amazing. Predator 2, and also like people, it's funny because I think there is like a weird, like there's. There's some people now that I'm hearing, you know, love Predator Two more. It seems kind of silly to me, but I know people also I hate Predator Two. But I'm like, if it's kind of like the Halloween Three syndrome, where it's mm. like if you didn't compare it to the, what was going on before, like yeah. this is a great, this is way better than so much other garbage you're trying to shove down my throat. Yes. Um, but it, yeah, it just it just happens to follow like it's kind of like Psycho Two is a great movie. Psycho Two Psycho. is so funny. Yeah, it's so it's great. so funny. Okay, uh, then we've got uh, I'm All About Grease, you're All About Grease too. Oh, yeah. Totally. Split the difference. You like Family Values, I like uh, Adam's Family, and then we're both on Brady Bunch. The, yeah. I, I think the point of this whole exercise is uh, don't sleep on sequels. Sometimes yeah. they'll come up and they'll get you. Which I'm, I'm notorious for that. There's so many, like, I've still not seen the, the RoboCop sequels. I haven't kept up with, like, the even the... Fly two. I mean, it's like but also the when the you the own the box like, set, motherfucker. How have you I not know. seen Fly two? Yeah, I just got it recently. But yeah, it's like I mean, those are movies I I love and I've seen the original so many times and I've watched them so many times. But it's like I just never. I just felt like 
the sequels couldn't do it for me. Alright then. Did, so. Well, if this this series has taught you anything, it's the fact that like uh, don't don't stop until you get enough. Yeah. That's uh, true. Cool. Alright, well, we did it. We um did it. next up on Psychotronicast is opening night, so get going uh you can find on hbo or hbo max or whatever they're slanging these days uh it's a john cassavetti's film that i think is perfect yeah it is wonderful so get to it because next time we're coming with you coming with you we're coming on you that's it all right until then let's keep it purely casual sweet